Well, as you begin today, I want to introduce you and tell you the story of my friend. His name is Michael. And I met Michael about uh, nine years ago. Michael grew up in the church, like many of us, and his church was one that was more about rote and routine and tradition than it was passion and life. And so he grew up with somewhat of a mixed relationship with the church, as many of us could say we did. His church ended up being marked more by politics and power than it did the Spirit of God being present. And he got married, and he began his life and found success in his career and his hobbies. And near the middle of his life, though, he, he found things start to fall apart. And so he began searching. And that searching led him to the church where I was teaching on Sunday nights. He'd been involved in a, a community program at that church years before, and so it was the only church that he knew. And so I can remember that night, the room was a lot like ours, and about midway back in the pew, he was sitting there. And halfway through my sermon, I remember him getting up and walking out. People always ask, can you see people in church? Oh yeah, I can see people. And I remember him walking out, but I didn't think much of it until the next morning when I got the most scathing email I've ever read. I mean, he just ripped us to shreds. He was against how I was preaching and how the worship leader was dressed. He was against the tattoos and piercings he saw and the people who were sitting in the pews. We were trying to reach people who would never normally come to church. Of course, they don't look like people who are wearing suit and ties and He didn't appreciate the music. He didn't appreciate something I said. And it just went on and on and on. And as I'm reading it, I could feel my blood just boiling. And I was preparing the nasty gram of all nasty grams to to send back his way. But luckily, just a couple weeks before, on the advice of a friend, I'd implemented a new policy. That if I get an email like that, I wait 24 hours before replying. So that I respond with ration, not emotion. And so I waited 24 hours, and as I was thinking about this email, something struck me, and I just felt like something was deeper in Michael's life than the email he sent. And so instead of writing the scathing email back where I attacked everything that he attacked us for, I said, hey, would you like to have some coffee this week? And he said yes. And about an hour and a half into that first coffee, because there were many coffees, I got to know Michael's story. Here's a picture of us the last time I saw him right before I moved to Phoenix in the coffee shop that we had our own little table in. And over the next few months, Michael began to come back to that service and became a huge fan of that service. He invited other people. He found my blog and little did I know that he began a ministry in his office where he was a manager that he began putting my blogs up on the bulletin board as discussion material for the week. And I'll never forget the day over coffee, Michael came in and told me about what happened as he was laying in bed the night before, just at his wits end. And he cried out to God and he said, God, if you'll have my life, I'll give it to you. A few weeks later, I got the privilege of baptizing Michael as a follower of Jesus. A couple years later, Michael called me and said, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he introduced me to this woman that he'd met who was a a great, strong Christian woman who had been following Jesus for decades. And in Michael's backyard, a few months later, I performed their wedding. Michael began to joke that that I needed to find somebody who was dying because Michael had been my first baptism and my first wedding. And he said, I'm not going to be your first funeral too. So... (laughs) But we developed this bond over the years, and I'll never forget Michael's story. 
Thinking about Michael's story this week, I was reminded of this important truth, that people don't want to know what you have to say until they know you're for them. And when I read Michael's email, my first thought was, man, this guy's angry and bitter and, and caustic. But I realize now that he was somebody who was hurting and he was reaching out for help. And I'm so grateful that my friend taught me to not respond to emails when I was angry. Because I don't know what would have happened with Michael's story. Not to say that I'm a great person. I was writing a really nasty email in my head. Please don't think I'm the hero of the story. But I'm grateful for how God used me. As I was thinking about Michael's story this week, I was reminded of a passage of scripture. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is a story about a man not that different from my friend Michael. But instead of sending an email like Michael did, Nicodemus shows up at the house of Jesus in the middle of the night. In our modern world today, it would be like posting something on Facebook and then having somebody send a direct message to you. You know, They don't want to comment publicly with their question. They don't want to tell the true story because they're afraid they're going to get attacked. And so Nicodemus shows up at Jesus' house at night, and he starts by complimenting Jesus, kind of buttering him up. Jesus is kind of on to what Nicodemus is doing. And he tells him that unless he's born again, he won't be a part of this kingdom that Jesus is introducing. And Nicodemus is a pretty smart guy. He's a religious leader, a Pharisee. And uh, he says, Jesus, I'm a pretty smart guy. How am I at the size that I am going to fit back into my mother's belly? And Jesus says, surely you know that I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And as they have a conversation, that conversation comes to a a head with a verse that many of us have heard so many times, we no longer take it seriously. We're so overly familiar with the zenith of this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus that we no longer think that verse has meaning for us. It's a verse that was held up on signs last week during the Super Bowl. It's the most well-known verse in the Bible. But recently, God has been using this verse to teach me things that I need to know. And in John 3.16, this is what we read. Jesus says, for God so loved the world. I want you to stop right there. You know what that first clause tells us? It tells us two really important things. The first thing it tells us is that God is for the world. I never thought about that, and it's not exactly what the the purpose of the for is there for. But do you recognize that John 3.16 tells us that God is for the world, he's not against the world? And that's so important because we live in a world where people believe that God's people are against them, not for them. Most of your friends could list off a litany of things that the church is against. Some of them think the church is against them. And because of that, they think that God is against them. And this verse says that God is for them. Not only is God for them, it says that God so loved the world. What we're about to read has nothing to do with God's job description. It has nothing to do with what God is obligated to do. It has to do with who God is with God's heart. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in that son should not perish, but have eternal life. In the Greek culture, there were three words for the the word life, the, the word at the end of this sentence. The first word is bios, 
which is where we get our word biology. It literally means you're alive. So that's one level of life. All of us are experiencing bios, and if you're not, poke the person next to you and we'll call an ambulance for you. The second type of life is sukos. It's where we get the word psychology. It's the idea of a soul. First, you're alive physically. Second, you have a soul, something that's going to continue on after you die. It's what animates you and makes you you. There's a third kind of life, and it's the the word that John uses to put here when he writes down Jesus' word. And this word, life, is the word zoe. If you were to write it in English, it would be Z-O-E. And the word zoe is the life that God gives us. In John 1, where Jesus says, I am the word. And I was with God, and I was God, and in me was life. That's the word zoe. And so when Jesus says that God wants to give us eternal life, he isn't just saying he wants our sukkahs, our soul, to live on eternally. The purpose of Jesus coming to earth was not to give people souls eternal life. His purpose was to give us zoe, his life, here and now. Do you see why we've overlooked this verse and missed so much of what God has for us in it? For God, God is for the world. God loves the world so much that he gave his son that the world might know true, real life. Later on in John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The word life there is zoe. Jesus didn't come so that you could get out of hell for free. He came so that here and now, he came so that the people around you here and now could know real, true, full, abundant life. That's why it's such a tragedy that the world thinks that God is against them when in fact he's offering life to them. Another great tragedy is that that we know this verse so well and not the verse that follows it. John 3.17 reads, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Isn't that tragic that the world believes that the church is the most condemning organization on earth when Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. This morning, I'm going to share with you a different kind of sermon. I want to talk to you about who our church is and where we're heading. And it all comes out of John 3.16 and John 3.17. So if you have a a handout right here, it's in your bulletin, I'd encourage you to pull it out and take notes this morning, even if you're not a note taker normally. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is who our heart is as a church. And our heart as a church is that we are for Prescott and we are for the world. Not because we're by nature generous people, not because we're something special, but because we follow one who is for Prescott and who's for the world. And we want to be known as a church that is for the people around us, that is for the people who don't yet know the Zoe, the life that Jesus is offering them. 
Tom Rainier is the leader of a company called Lifeway Research, and they're one of the largest Christian companies in the country. They produce a ton of resources for the Southern Baptist Convention, but his company researches Christians and the pattern of the church across the nominations. And in 2017, he released a new study that showed that two-thirds of churches in the United States today are plateaued or declining. Two-thirds. I had been under the impression that it was 80%, and so I was actually encouraged by this number in a sick way. Um, But he found that two out of three churches are either plateaued or declining. And when his team studied those churches that were plateaued or declining across the nominations, they found one thing that all those churches had in common, and that was that they were inward-focused. That they were more concerned with the needs of those who were already a part of the church than they were those who were outside of the church. The church is a unique organization in the world in that it is the only organization I know of that exists for those who aren't yet a part of it. And when we miss that mission, when we miss that purpose, we end up in this state. See, when we turn inward and we care more about ourselves than those who haven't yet discovered that God is for them, that God loves them, and that God wants them to find that life, we begin to shrink. Any organization that exists solely for itself is in danger of dying. And this is why so many churches in America are declining, because they only exist for themselves. And yet, what we're finding in churches that are not plateaued and not declining is a burgeoning, growing life. There are thousands of churches across this country that are growing, despite what you read on the news. There are people of all ages, including those darn millennials, who are putting their faith and trust in Jesus and discovering that Zoe. We even celebrated here on our stage last week three people going public with their faith. Were you encouraged by that? Were you excited by that? And We have six more that are asking us when your next baptism date is, and so we'll be baptizing more before Easter. I want you to take a second right now and just indulge me on something. I want you to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. But I want you to imagine somebody that is in your life. Maybe it's somebody you live with. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's somebody that you go to school with or somebody that you just do fun stuff with that is not a follower of Jesus. I want you to imagine their face. I want you to think of their name. And I want you to imagine what it would look like for them to accept the gift that God has given them of eternal life. I want you to imagine what it would look like if they began a relationship with Jesus. I want you to imagine what it would be like if you were sitting in the seat you're in right now and they're up on this stage in our baptism tank and they're about to get baptized. I want you to imagine how that would feel inside your soul. Now open your eyes. That's my vision for this church. 
and even more. My vision, and this is something you probably don't know, I count it a win when I don't baptize people. We ask people whenever they baptize, who do you want to baptize you? And I count it a win when somebody doesn't choose me. When they choose somebody and say, hey, Scott, you're a great pastor and I love you, you're awesome, but this is the person who helped me take this step. Could they baptize me? And I want you to think about what it would look like for the person you just imagined to say, I want them to baptize me. And so back here, you're standing next to the baptistry with them and you're the person who's saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Can you even imagine what that would be like? That's my vision for you. That's my vision for us, that we wouldn't exist for ourselves, but that we would exist for Prescott and the world for the names of people that are on your heart right now. That's our heart as a church. That's number one. Number two, our focus. Our focus as a church is that we exist to help people take their next step towards Jesus. We want to see everyone who we encounter, and today if there are close to 600 people here at Cornerstone, that's probably close to 9,000 people that we as a church will encounter this week in personal ways. We exist to help all of those people take their next step towards Jesus. And if you didn't come to our annual meeting or you didn't get our annual report, we've seen some really good signs in this area over the last year. Last year, we saw attendance go up for the first time in three years. We saw on Easter Sunday our highest one-day attendance in the history of our church. During At The Movies last summer, we saw our highest one-day non-holiday attendance in the history of our church. We saw people coming in greater numbers than we ever have before. We saw people take taking steps of faith. We saw 15 people get baptized last year and 38 people commit their life to Jesus Christ for the first time. We also saw people take their next step and get involved in community groups. We saw 223 people get involved in community groups, which is about 45% of our annual attendance. And over the last six weeks, we've seen between 60 and 80 people ask us if they can get involved in a community group, and our team has been hustling like crazy to get them involved in community groups. Some of you may be in a home that's exploding with people and furniture is being rearranged to make your community group work, and we thank you for that. We also saw last year 245 people serve on a monthly basis in our church. What's exciting for me is that that number a year ago was 200, and so we saw that number grow by 20% last year, which is just incredible. We just finished a, a, a series called More that was really all about clarifying what your next step is. And so as a church, we're just passionate and believing that every person has a next step and we exist to help you figure out what that is and take it. The beginning of that series, I pulled out a kitchen table and I, I gave our team the week off from carrying that thing over here. But if you remember, I put a kitchen table over here on the side of the stage and I said, we exist for everyone seated at the table from somebody who's just discovering faith in a high chair to someone who's been a Christian for 60 or 70 years. And there is something here for all of us because all of us have a next step. And we will not become a church that only exists for those who are strong, mature Christians. And we won't be a church just for those to discover Jesus Christ because that option is not given us in this book. 
we have a responsibility to be a place where people come and discover who Jesus is, and then we walk alongside them and help them take their next steps and grow. And that's why at the end of your handout today, there's a little section called I Will, where we challenge you, based upon what you heard God say today, you're going to do something. Because all of us have, have heard a sermon before. Some of you, maybe this is your very first sermon, but you're probably in the minority in the room. Most of us have heard lots of sermons before that did not change our lives. Not because they weren't good sermons, not because they weren't based on the Bible, but because we didn't do anything with them. And so as the church, we have a bias, which is often looked down on in this culture. Being biased is a bad thing. No, we think being biased is a good thing if your bias is a good one. And we're biased towards application. We believe that when we apply what God tells us and put it in action, it changes our lives. And so as a church, we believe that spiritual maturity is measured by obedience, not information or age. Because you and I have met people that have been in church their whole life, and they don't at all resemble Jesus. They're bitter and angry and selfish. And then you come along somebody who's young, and you go, man, this person is filled with the Spirit of God. How does that happen? Because God matures people not through age and not through information, but as we obey the brother of Jesus, a man named James, in his, his gospel or his book, James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Jesus said, if you love me, what are you going to do? You will keep my commandments. You'll put into action the things that I say. That's why our community groups are built around application. Because most of us have heard more sermons than we've applied. And until we apply them, they won't transform us. They won't change us until we put them into action and align our lives with God's word. The third part of what I want to share with you this morning is what I call our process. And our process as a church is that we help people take next steps through a map, not a menu. We help people take steps, next steps, through a map not a menu. I went to a restaurant this week and uh, the, the server put down a menu in front of me and there were burgers and sandwiches and salads. I ate the salad because I was being really healthy. But you enter, enter a restaurant and you get a long menu of what that restaurant serves. And some of us, when we go to church for the first time, we look for the same thing. We look for the menu. And except of burgers and fries and salads and sliders, we often see a menu at church that includes things like men's ministry, women's ministry, singles ministry, senior adults ministry, celebrate recovery, precepts, Stephen ministry, and sports ministry. And so this becomes the thing that we look for in the church. Many churches offer us a menu and we show up and say, hey, here's all the ways that you could get involved in the church. But here's what we find and what Rainier has found in studying churches is that churches that become inward focused become all about the menu. They become all about the, the products or the experiences that church members consume. And some churches see it as their purpose or success if people are busy or at church three or four or five nights a week. I grew up in one of those churches. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. My dad was there Thursday night and Tuesday night. I was there one or two Saturdays a month. And that was great, except for the fact 
that we didn't know our neighbors. That we didn't have people in our home to eat with us who are not followers of Jesus. That our lives were consumed by the menu of church programs and it kept us from being for people who didn't yet know the life that Jesus was offering them. When your circle is purely marked by people who are also followers of Jesus, you're missing out on half of the Great Commission. You're missing out on half of what God called you to. And so as a church, we want to help people take next steps, not through a menu, but through a map. Helping people take their steps towards maturity, not merely being busy in church programs. Let me illustrate it for you. How many of you have ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Anybody? It's a great restaurant, unless you have a problem making decisions. The cheesecake menu has a 20-page menu. It is so long, there are literally advertisements in the menu. And they serve every kind of food. So if somebody ever tells you, hey, I don't know what I want to eat, just take them to Cheesecake Factory because there's something there they'll like. And my experience at Cheesecake Factory is I open the menu and I have no idea what I like. And after about 15 minutes and sending the waiter away three times, I finally decide on something and I hand my menu over and he walks away and then someone walks by with a tray and I go, I know that was on the menu, I want that. And so inevitably, I'm frustrated that I don't get what I want. Cheesecake Factory also has my all-time favorite dessert. I can no longer have it because I can't have dairy. It's the red velvet white chocolate cheesecake. It's to die for. It's 1,500 calories a slice. (laughs) You literally will die from eating it. But there are a lot of churches that are like Cheesecake Factory. There's a long menu of programs. There's a lot of things going on, and it takes months or even years to figure them all out. As a church, we're not trying to be Cheesecake Factory. We're trying to be In-N-Out. If you've ever been to In-N-Out before, you've never known decision paralysis, because you can either have a hamburger, a cheeseburger, or a double-double. If you wanted chicken, you came to the wrong place, you go next door to Chick-fil-A, because they literally build them next to each other. But what, what scientific research has found is that the more options you give people, the less likely they are to decide. If you go in the grocery store and there's 40 kinds of barbecue sauce, you don't buy barbecue sauce because you're afraid you're going to make the wrong decision. And so many times you go to churches and there's not a quick ministry highlight section. There's an announcement time that takes 15 minutes to tell you all the things that are happening in the church. And so as a church, our goal is to be more like In-N-Out and less like Cheesecake Factory. To keep things simple so that we can help people take next steps. Because our goal is not to be busy in here. Our goal is to be engaged out there. And if two-thirds of churches in America are plateaued or declining, and the number one characteristic of those is that they're inward-focused, then we're going to do all we can to stay out of that category. To not be busy here and focused on in here and having lots of things to keep us in here, but to take steps that lead us to be effective out there. And here's where I want to be really transparent with you. This is why I came to be the pastor of Cornerstone Church. Because I used to work for the Cheesecake Factory. Not as, a, not as a server, but as a pastor. I worked at a church that was full of programs. 
Our pastor at one point bragged that he drove the church one day and the parking lot was full and he didn't know what was happening and he was excited because it was a good thing because people were there every day. And our church had been in a 27-year decline. We'd been in that category of plateaued or declining for longer than I'd been alive when I got there. And as a staff member, if, if I was honest with you, I would tell you that I, I fought with my other staff members for ministry dollars, for volunteers, and to get my ministry promoted. And we weren't about anything happening out there. We were about fighting each other in here. Some of you have come to Cornerstone from other churches. And, and you've come and you've experienced the atmosphere that I experienced when I first came here in March of 2016 on a secret visit. I sat kind of right over here. Nobody knew who I was, why I was here. And I experienced this incredible atmosphere here. Some of you have experienced that atmosphere, an atmosphere that lacks drama, a place where people who are wounded can come and experience healing. And that atmosphere, as one of our teams said this week, is because we've kept things simple. It's not about my agenda or Jamie's agenda or Josh's agenda or Clovis's agenda. It's about Jesus's agenda, which is helping people grow. And we're not here with our pet projects and our pet ministries to promote. And so if you've come and you've experienced this environment and this atmosphere, that's because we keep things simple. That's because we're not the cheesecake factory. And it's the reason why God led me here. I was exhausted and burned out. And God used this place to heal me. And I want to lead other people to discover that same kind of healing. Because this place is all about helping you take your next step closer to Jesus. And so part number four is we have an invitation for you this morning. And that invitation is that we believe in partnering together to do this. We believe that doing this will take all of us. When I first came here to preach in view of a call, it's the day that I was next to as nervous as I am today. That was that day. I got up and I preached my heart out. I had sore throat and I was gargling and I was, I don't even know how I preached that day. But the next Sunday, they called me because there was a vote here. And they gave me the numbers of the vote. And I said, where is everybody? Did they all go hunting? You know what happened? Because there was one-fifth of the people represented in the vote that were here the previous Sunday. And they said, Scott, membership has never really been a big deal here at Cornerstone. And I said, okay, I get that. Because in our church, church membership, church, big C church, church abroad in the country, membership is declining. It's not a big deal anymore. And if you think about it, it makes sense. How many of you in the room are a member of Netflix? Anybody have Netflix in the room? Okay. What what does being a member of Netflix mean? It means you get on-demand movies and binge-worthy TV shows wherever you go. Or wherever the person is who you stole their Netflix credentials to log in. (laughs) Nervous laughter because I hit a nerve. Um, So many of us... No, Netflix, because it's about the movies that we get. Some of us in this room have been a member of a country club, and that's about the perks and privileges you get when you go there. Some of us are members of a fitness club, and what that means is that for three weeks in January, we go religiously, and for the rest of the year, we're shamed by the thing on our keys that reminds us we're not going there anymore. See, in our culture, membership is about what we get. But in the church, 
membership is about what we give. And that's the difference. And membership has declined in churches as people have felt it's less and less important. What's also happened in the same time is that church has become a good we consume like everything else. And so for us in this season, when you hear us use the word membership, you're often going to hear us use the word partnership. Because we believe at its core, membership is not about what you get, it's about what you give. And so for those of you who are already members of Cornerstone, it's not about what you get. And I think many of you get that. You recognize it's about what you give. It's about what you contribute to it. And there are others of you who've come to Cornerstone and you've been here for some time. And I believe this is a season where it needs to be a shift for some of us from what we get to what we give. Some of you came in this church two or three years ago and you were hurting and broken. You, you weren't physically bleeding, but you were gashed. You'd been hurt and wounded by another church. You'd been hurt and wounded by other Christians. And you came in this church and people loved you. People cared for you. People walked alongside you. But it's been three years. And I wonder if it's time for you to give somebody else the gift that somebody gave you. I wonder if it's time for you to create space for somebody to create the healing that you discovered yourself. I wonder if it's time for you to shift from being someone who received to someone who gave. And like we do with all messages, we're going to end this one with some next steps. And these are on the back of your handout. This morning, I want to invite you to determine if God has called you to Cornerstone. Not if this is a place that you like to attend when it's convenient, but if God's really called you here. Is this the place that God wants you to call home? There's a banner when you walk in every Sunday morning that says, welcome home. Has this become your home? And we recognize that sometimes it takes time to process through that. And so beginning next month, we're going to begin offering a class to help you process through that. It's called Starting Point. And it'll happen the first one on Sunday, March the 4th at 1030 Myself, Pastor Clovis, and some of our board will be teaching this class. So on that Sunday, you can come to the 9 o'clock service and then come to that during the 1030 service. You've got kids. They can stay in our kids' programming. It'll be a chance for us to share more of what I shared today along with what we believe as a church, how we're structured, what it means to be a partner or a member, and it'll be a place for you to ask questions. On your connection card that you got when you walked in, there's a reason why we didn't collect it yet. If you want to be part of that class, you can just write your name and info on here. And at the bottom, it says, I would like more information about and just write starting point. The class may fill up. And if it does, we'll, we'll launch another one the next month. But we hope to offer these classes periodically to help you get exposed to who we are and determine if this is your home. This is not a membership class. You can begin the membership process at the end of it, but it's an orientation to who we are. So the first question is, is God calling me here? Secondly, I want to encourage you to take your next step. What is your next step? Some of you, your next step is the first step in our math and it, map, and it's gather. Some of you come here when it's convenient, and we're going to encourage you to come here consistently. We're beginning a new series next 
next, next week, or last for six weeks? And what would it mean for you to be here for each of those six weeks to work on your relationship with God and, and how you understand who you are in him? Some of you have been coming for some time, but just on Sundays, and maybe your next step is to connect in a group and build relationships. I meet people every single week whose biggest challenge is that they're lonely. And it's, it's really possible to sit in here and stay anonymous if you want to. And maybe your next step is to plug into a group and build some relationships. Maybe some of you are in a community group and your house or the house you're meeting in is getting too full. And maybe what God wants to do is he wants to use you to create a group for somebody else, for you to be a host or a facilitator yourself so that other people can join a group. We've got... 22 community groups right now as a church, but only eight of them are open because 14 of the homes are full. And maybe you're in one of those homes and God wants to use you to launch another group. Maybe it's for you beginning to serve. Maybe part of that shift from getting to giving is joining one of our volunteer teams and coming on Sunday, not just when you want to, but coming knowing that you're needed. And if you're not here, you'll be missed because something won't get done. And then maybe it's engage. Maybe it's recognizing that God put you in the relationships that you're in for a purpose to influence those people and God to use you in their life. So number two is identify your next step. Number three is take your next step. Once you figure out what that is, we'd encourage you to take it as soon as you know. And so on your card today, there's a place where you can indicate, you know, I'd like to get involved in a community group or I'd like to serve or I'd like more information about how I can engage my circle. We'd encourage you to fill this card out. And when the offering bucket passes you by in a little bit, as we sing our final song, we're going to encourage you to turn it in or take it out to the welcome table or the belong table to, to get more information. Again, for us, we, we measure how successful today is by what happens tomorrow and the steps that we take. And then finally, number four, we're going to invite you to ask God to give you his heart for your circle and for this city. This is a prayer that I've been praying because I recognize that the way that I see people isn't always how Jesus sees people. And what I've learned, and this is just me, I've learned that prayer is what aligns God's heart with my heart. What aligns my perspective with his. And that's why we want to encourage you to every single day pray for the people around you that God might use you in their life. And this morning, as we close the message, we're going to actually put that into practice. And so if you're able, I want to invite you to get down on your knees with me. Because we don't want to just say that we're for Prescott. We actually want to mean it. And we're going to invite God to, to shape our hearts to look like his. God, I thank you for bringing me to this city. And I thank you for bringing me to this church. You've shown me over the last 18 months my weaknesses and my flaws and the places I need you more than ever. 
And God, I thank you for the history of this church and the fact that it's been a place for people to discover hope and healing for nearly 30 years. I thank you for the fact that years ago, a godly young pastor put you at the head of this church and that you used that action to to align people to your heart. And God, I pray that our heart would look like yours that we would be for people, that we would love people, and that we would be passionate about helping them come to discover the abundant life in you that we have found. God, we confess that we have judged people, we have condemned people, we've labeled people, and we haven't reflected your love for them and to them. God, we confess that we've been participants in the church becoming known as a people known for what they're against, not what they're for. And we repent of that. And we pray that you would align our hearts with yours you would give us eyes to see the people in our circle. And we pray that there would be a day in the future where the people who call Prescott home, when they hear the word cornerstone, they would say, oh, I know those people. Those people are for us. Those people love us. And I know somebody who goes there and I love having them in my life. God, we pray that you would align our hearts with yours. That you would usher us into the next era of our church. We have the privilege to baptize our friends. We'd have the honor of helping people move from far from you to close to you. And that we would become more and more like Jesus. You are so great, God, and we pray that you would do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.